Hey, let's get right into it. Luke 16, 8, Jesus said, For the children of this world, in dealing with their fellow men, act with more business sense than those who have the light. And he's basically saying, is my people don't understand money. We either get in the ditch on one side or the other. We kind of forget what God says about money and go it on our own. First Timothy chapter 6, and verse 9, Paul said, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So you get in trouble when you start chasing money. Money can't be your pursuit. So we take this and we say, well, just ignore it and just follow God and it'll all work out. And that's another ditch. That's no better ditch than the one we just talked about. Listen to what Paul said. Same writer. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, all of your money falls in two categories. It's either seed for sowing or it's bread for food. Don't eat your seed. He will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. He's talking about you having money. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Simply put, if you do not understand how money flows, you will never have much of it. If it's a mystery to you, you won't have a lot. So I'm going to give you three major ideas today. Here's number one. Instead of chasing money, God's people are to chase wisdom. Wisdom is what he wants you to go after. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 1 says this, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? I love those who love me, those who seek me, find me, listen to this, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Money is such a powerful, powerful influence that if you don't first pursue the wisdom of God, money will destroy your life, as it does so many people. And so what I want you to see is that that's the reason God says don't let money become your chief pursuit. Instead, go after wisdom. And when I hear people say anything about anything in the Bible, anything in life where they say, you're abusing that. Trust me, if it can be used the wrong way, it can also be used the right way. So money can be used the right way to be a great blessing. And that's what we want to do is teach our people how they can use money the right way and how to understand money. Now, the wisdom of God will keep you from abusing money. You need to understand this, that wisdom is the currency of the kingdom of God. When I first got saved, I didn't know anything about money. I went to my grandma's church. They talked a lot about miracles, and I would go without enough money, get uh, enough gas to get home on. And I would go to church and pray, God, i got to have gas money. And I would pull out my wallet at the end of the service and kind of look to see if God put any tens in there, fives in there. I had to have a little bit of gas, and he never did. He never made a dollar bill and put it in my wallet. And I thought, I just don't have enough faith. 
But here's what I noticed. Every now and then, people would come and slip me a $10 bill or a $5 bill or a $20 bill. And that's how I made my gas money to get home. These older people fell in love with me because I was a teenager who was on fire for God. I just got saved, started going to this church full of old people. And God used them to bless me. And money came in the most surprising ways. But people who get money like that don't get much money. You can't make a living off that. All right? If you don't know where your money is coming from, you are living at the very lowest level of God's provision. Jesus, or I'm sorry, yeah, Jesus said it, Paul quotes it, and it's in the book of Acts, it's not actually in the Gospels, but he said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What does that mean? He's saying that the person who's doing the giving is in a higher position than the person who's receiving. That you're more blessed when you're giving, you get more out of it than the person who's getting the money. You're in a higher position. So we ought to want to be not the receivers, we ought to want to be the givers. God wants to make givers out of all of us. And what we've got to learn to do is how to cooperate with him in that. Now, I want you to think about the relationship between money and wisdom like you would the relationship between sweat and exercise. You don't go to the gym to see how much you sweat. I've been in a lot of gyms in my day, and I've never yet seen a gym that has a sweatometer. <laughs> Nobody ever talks about how much I sweat. It so in, the, in, like in this room, we could work out and not sweat. That's a joke. It's cold in here. <laughs> but the cold of winter, you're not going to sweat much. You can walk out and do almost nothing in Oklahoma in the hot summertime, and you're going to sweat just walking across your yard. You cannot determine the success of an exercise by the sweat. So you don't pursue sweat. The sweat's going to come. Here's the idea. You pursue wisdom and you deal with wisdom. You operate with wisdom. You won't have to chase money. You will get money because money follows wisdom. Now, that's what I want you to see. So we preachers have done a terrible job teaching people how to receive money. We're great at teaching people how to give, but we don't teach them how to receive. Now listen to what Paul said about this in Philippians 4.15. He said, moreover, as you Philippians know, and by the way, the Philippians were the most generous church in all of the New Testament. They outdo everybody. They're great givers. And so here's Paul talking about this to this church full of giving people. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving, and what's the next word? Receiving, except you only. No one would argue when we talk about the giving side of this, but nobody really says a whole lot about the receiving side. This is what I found out as a young minister. I found out that nobody was talking about how to receive from God. How do you get things from God? How does it come? What do I do? I knew there was something out there, but I was missing the connection. I didn't know how it worked. And I thought, I, 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 I'm not getting anything out of these preachers because they're telling me, I gave this money and I was believing God and somebody I didn't even know came up and gave me $10,000. Never seen the guy before in my life and they gave me $10,000. Did you ever hear that story? A hundred times. And the reason that I, I hate to hear that story is because you're giving people a false impression. You're giving people the impression that money came to you apart from any kind of relationship whatsoever. 
And that's not true. The person who gave that preacher the money had heard that preacher. They were blessed by that preacher. God had used that preacher either through a cassette tape or some radio program or something on TV, but they heard a message that changed their life and they wanted to show gratitude and they came back and gave an offering to the pastor. The pastor talks about it like it's a miracle and I appreciate what he's trying to do. I do. I'm not trying to beat you up if you've told that yourself, but I'm trying to tell you that what you're doing is you're giving your business people a false impression that if they have great faith, that someone will come up that they don't even know and hand them money. That is not the way that money flows. All right. People don't get up in the morning thinking of ways to give you their money. (laughs) Now, you may not realize that, but let me just be realistic with you. Nobody's thinking about taking their money and giving it to you. So I thank God for all those years when people had mercy on us and they gave us those loaded Christmas cards and birthday cards and so forth. But I'm going to tell you something, that is the lowest level of provision. My wife and I today, we're the ones who give the loaded cards. We're the ones who like to supply people. We're the ones who want to surprise people and change their world with a generous gift. We're the ones who want to do that. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. All right? So number one, I want you to realize that instead of pursuing money, you chase wisdom. I've got to learn how to think the way God thinks. Now, when you begin to do that, you understand this principle. Money has to be converted from raw energy or raw material. God's currency is wisdom. It is not money. God never mints money, never gives people money. There's not a scripture in the Bible that he says God gives people money. It's not there. God said, I'll give you the power to get wealth. It doesn't say I'll give you wealth. You have an ability to convert it. Everything in this room, I want you to think about that for a minute. Everything in this room, this screen, this chair, that cloth, this podium, these glasses, that clock, everything in this room, these lights, all of this existed when God created the earth. But none of it looked like this. It has been pulled out of the earth. And what's happening is we have learned how to take raw materials and we convert those things into things that are more refined that we can use. So when you have a lot of God's people running around thinking, I hope somebody gives me money, or you get in a tight spot, and you start looking out there and you think, who's it going to be? Who's coming to give me money? I know I don't have the money, so the money is out there. And that's the way a lot of people think. And you got to quit thinking like that. Because you are going to be the channel that God's going to want to use. And I'll explain how that works. Money is very much like electricity. Electricity has to be converted. Electricity had to be made. The raw electricity that nature creates is incredibly powerful. But as of yet, we have not found a way to harness its energy. I predict that someday they may well find a way to harness the power of lightning, but right now we don't have that power. And uh, contrary to the Frankenstein monster movie, it's not working yet. (laughs) But the electricity that benefits us is electricity that started out as a hydroelectric dam or a coal-fired steam plant or a natural gas fired steam plant 
and through turbines that are turned by various different means, electricity is generated. And now we get something beneficial that we can use because we have learned to convert it from something that existed in a very, very raw form. So God doesn't create money for us. He does give us the power to get it. But remember the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 8.18, it is he who gives you the power to produce wealth. So we've got to quit saying, who's bringing me money? And our thinking needs to be instead, what am I going to convert to money? When you begin to think this way, you totally change the way you think. You begin to see yourself as a person who has resources. Now, remember the story of the widow who had the two sons who were going to be sold into slavery because she had a debt she couldn't pay. She comes to the prophet and she says, this is what's going on. And the prophet asks her a question. He says, what do you have? And she is super negative about it. And she says, thine handmaid hath not anything to save a pot of oil. She sees herself as totally resourceless. But the prophet is wanting her to think in a different way. And he asks this question, what do you have? In 1977, at Kenneth Hagin's camp meeting, I was sitting out there. Nobody knew me from a load of coal. I'm just a kid from West Texas, 24 years old. And I'm looking around, and I count about 500 children walking up and down steps, going to the bathroom, being a nuisance, being bored out of their mind. And those camp meetings lasted till midnight, so you can only imagine how bored the kids were. And I thought, you know what? Somebody ought to teach these kids. I had a great kids ministry back in Texas, but I thought somebody ought to come up here and teach these kids. And the Lord spoke to me during that camp meeting, and he said, I want you to publish the curriculum that you write for your church. I want you to make it available to the body of Christ. So I went and met with a publisher, told him what I felt like I was supposed to do. We laid it out, and the price tag came back, $50,000. My salary in 1977 was ten grand. God laid on me a project that was five times greater than my annual salary. I knew I didn't have the money. So you know what I did? I did what you'd do. I started hanging out with people in the church who had the money. <laughs> We had three men in our church who were capable of writing that kind of a check, so I started hanging around them to see if I could talk to them, and I sprung the question on all three of them. None of them were interested. You know what I did? I did the same thing you do. I got mad at them <laughs> because they're keeping me from my vision. They didn't do what God obviously wanted them to do. And I finally began to realize that I was all wrong. I figured they were the ones that God was going to use because they were the only ones that I knew that had the resources. And here's where we get in trouble. When we want money and we need money desperately, we start looking at the most obvious people. And can I tell you, most of the time, God's not going to use any of them. He's going to use people that are the least likely ones to bless you and probably the least likely way. So God started dealing with me. And he said, first of all, quit worrying about the money. He said, you're not ready to go to press. How, why do you need money? If, if you had it, you're not ready to get anything printed right now. So I realized I have quite a bit of work. As it turned out, I was one year away from having my stuff finished. And so I quit worrying about the money. 
So you got to do what's in front of you. God won't start giving you money for steps two and three when you hadn't taken step one. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to forget about the money and I'm going to finish what I got. Now I finally got finished. I said, okay, Lord, everything's done. Now it's time to put up or shut up. I got to have some money. And the Lord spoke to my heart again. You got it. You're sitting on it. Now at this time, at Rama Bible College, there was somebody I heard about that bought an old house, and in the attic of that house, there was a very expensive painting that the previous owner had left. And they discovered it and sold it for several thousand dollars and had given the money to the church. I got a ladder and a flashlight and crawled up in the attic and looked around the house I just bought. We didn't have any paintings. All we had was dirty. But God had kind of put it in my heart, you're sitting on it. You're sitting on it. So the only thing I could figure is I heard that story and I thought maybe that would happen for me. What am I sitting on, God? What am I sitting on? What do I have? And we always minimize what we have. That's why the little lady said, Thine handmaid hath not anything save this little pot of oil. But God's going to make you use that. And so I'm racking my brain. I'm praying. I'm seeking God. And I didn't get it in one session. It took several times of praying to hear this. But one day it just hit me. I had been asked to teach a course on children's ministry, 12 weeks, or 12 sessions on, on kids' ministry, and God finally got my attention. He said, how many people are there around America who cry out to me every week, and they ask me, God, help me teach kids. I don't know how. They've given me a class. I have no idea what I'm doing. He said, you know exactly what to do, and they are never going to quit their jobs and come here and go to this Bible school. If you want to reach them, you're going to have to put tapes out there so they can understand. So I took my 12-week course, and I boiled it down to six one-hour sessions. Nobody believed in what I was doing. I couldn't even get a technician to help me run a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. So I found during the Christmas holidays of 1978, I got in the quietest place in our busy church. It was the second floor of the school office, kids were all on break, and I spoke into a tape recorder and I recorded six one-hour messages on how to teach kids. I went to the tape department and they said, we'll make you those tapes for 1250. And you give us 1250 and you get 1250 and so I sold them for 25 bucks. I advertised those tapes and people began to buy them. And so we went on like that for over a year. Over a year we went like that, selling those tapes, and little by little I paid for one step at a time of the curriculum. I got it typeset. I got the color separations made. We got everything that we needed done. And we finally came to the time of printing, and I'll finish that story here in a little bit. But what God got me to see is you have resources that you don't know you have. That's what you've got to learn to do. What do you have? Think of yourself as a company. What, what do I have? And when you start thinking that way, you may realize, you know what, I've got to sharpen up a little bit. I started realizing there's a lot of things I know about teaching kids, and most of what I know I can write it down in a sentence, but there are some things that don't fit my philosophy. 
I've got to change what I'm doing in some cases because I've seen new ways to do this and I see the biblical principle that backs it and I've got to start following my own principles here. So I had to change some things. So you, you, I, I started seeing, if I can package this and put this together, it'll bless people and people will pay money for it and nobody will be upset. So God gave me something to convert. You understand that you convert things into money. That's how it works. So you don't think about how people are going to give you the money. You've got to learn how to convert. Now, number one, labor can be converted to money. We all know that. In all labor, there's profit, but the top of the lips tends only to penury. So work will make you money. May not make you all the money you want, but it'll at least get you started. Here's the second one. Wisdom will make you money. With me are riches and honor. And here's where these two things go together. A doctor makes more money than a ditch digger because he doesn't just work hard, but he works with wisdom. He has to be careful where he cuts because it's a life or death matter. The ditch digger can create a water leak in your neighborhood and you're without water for a while, but he can get by with being a little sloppy. The doctor can't. So the doctor makes more money than the ditch digger because the stakes are higher and because his training is worth more. And so he's more valuable because he's what he's learned. So you need to be assessing everything you do. You need to think about what your boss is telling you to do. You need to learn to anticipate what they're going to tell you to do next wow. and learn to do it without the boss making you do it. Now you're acting like a leader. You're acting like a supervisor. And whether you believe this or not, supervisors make more money than followers. And this is another thing you better be ready for. And a lot of people are upset because they want to work and they want to be paid immediately for the value of their work. You better be determined that you're going to be underpaid for a season. You will eventually get paid back, but in the beginning, you may not be paid as much as you're worth, but that's okay. You're working for Jesus Christ, and he will see to it that things get squared away at the end of the day. Are you with me? So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to sow this kind of work into my career. I'm going to sow wisdom. I'm going to do everything I can. For some of you, you're just a few hours away from a degree. Finish it. Get it done. It'll increase your pay. There are so many things you can do to make yourself more valuable. If you're not reading up, on what it is that you're doing. If you're not studying what other people do in your field that are more successful than you, you don't deserve to make any more money. It's not just about hard work, it's about smart work. It's labor and it's wisdom combined. Then that brings you to this. Very often you will start thinking about a product. The Bible says the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight, Proverbs 11.1. 1. You know what that tells me? God loves trade. God loves it when we swap. What God doesn't like is when we cheat people when we swap. He hates dishonest scales. But if you are trading something at a fair price, a fair bargain, you're making products that other people need, God loves that. That's not greed. That's not greed at all. There's nothing wrong with people who come up with brilliant solutions to things, create problems and make problems products and make millions of dollars. Nothing wrong with that. God loves that. Too many of God's people don't even tap into that. 
had a pastor friend who sat down with a bunch of his older guys. And he says, guys, I want to talk to you. You've tithed all your life. You've been in this church a long, long time. He said, you guys are blessed. He said, but, but I just want to ask you a question. Can you think of a time that maybe God tried to give you an idea that had you done the idea, it would have made you a millionaire? And every single one of these guys spoke up and they said, yes. Here's what the first guy said. When I just started out farming, I'd been farming a few years and I was a hustler, go-getter, and we were doing well. He said there was an older man that didn't have kids. And this older man came to me and he said, I want you to buy my farm. I've watched you, his neighbor. He said, I want you to have my farm. You know what kind of farm I've got. I've worked this ground all my life. My dirt is great. My farm is in great shape. I'm going to loan you the money to buy this farm. I'm not going to charge you a penny in interest. You're going to be able to afford this farm. In the beginning, you'll have to adjust a little bit to be able to work both farms, but it's nothing you can't do. You can hire a little bit of help. You'll have enough money to do that. The young man says, let me think about it. So he started thinking about it. He thought, man, what if I can't make the payment? He started thinking about all the risks. A lot of God's people think that any blessing that comes from God is always risk-free. Can I tell you this? Ask David if it was risk-free when he fought Goliath. Ask Daniel if it was risk-free when he went into the lion's den. You read the Bible stories, all of God's children faced risks, but they had a promise from God. You can't do anything without a risk. If you want to play it safe, you're never going to get anywhere. You're going to have to stick your neck out a little bit. You don't do it foolishly. I say this all the time. Is it a leap or is it a step? God leads people in steps. I will take a step, even if it has risk, as long as I'm taking a step. But if it's a leap, not doing it. It's the devil who inspires people to take leaps. Jump off the pinnacle of this temple, his angels will catch you. That was a leap. Jesus refused to do it. See what I'm saying? But this was a step for this young man. He was capable of doing it, but he got fearful. And he drew back. God said to the Israelites, my soul will have no pleasure in him who draws back. When you shrink back in fear, you're never going to get everything God has for you. So the pastor said, what happened? He said, you know where the mall is in Iowa City? He said, that's the farm. He said, if I owned that land, I would have owned it and had it paid off in a few years. And then I would have sold it for millions of dollars. And it became the mall in Iowa City. I blew it. One right after another, they all said the same thing. I'm convinced that God has ideas that we walk right past. We think that they come with a red bow tied around them, that they're easy to see. But if they were like that, everybody would take them. God hides his ideas, and they're highly camouflaged. And it takes faith to see them. And if you put on your faith glasses, you can see that idea. You can stick your neck out. I saw. I didn't have any guarantees that people would buy my curriculum or buy my tapes, but I felt like that there were people out here who were hungry for what I had, and I made it the best I could possibly make it, and it began to give me the money that I needed to get with it. Wisdom and products, and then finally, money makes money. Once you start making money, you're going to get some extra money. That money needs to be turned into more money. This is what Jesus said. Well, then, he said to the 
to the servant who was slothful, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Jesus just puts his seal on making money with money. A lot of us think that everybody in the financial industry is greedy, and many of them are, but not everybody. And so God wants to bless you with enough money. Here's the problem. Anytime we get any money, we want to go buy a boat or ski-doo, or we want to go buy a video game, or we want to go buy something that we can, uh, th th that's really a luxury. In the beginning, you need to use your extra money to make you more money. Buying tools, buying equipment, putting yourself in a better position to ha have influence and power. Now, here's the last thing. Money flows in channels. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Prove me now, herewith says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What is a window? A window is a channel. It channels light. Even if it doesn't open, it still channels light. If it opens, it channels light and it channels air. If you had a fire in your house and your doors were blocked, it channels you. I mean, a window is a passageway from one dimension to another. God said, see if I do not open you windows, plural, of heaven, and there will not be room enough to receive the blessing. Without the window, there is no blessing. We'll say it again. Without the window, there is no blessing. Your windows are your channels, your job, your gig, the thing that you make money with right now. That's your number one channel. But notice God said, I will open you the windows of heaven. And what a lot of people don't consider is that God may have more than one channel for you. I started seeing that I was not going to be taken care of by the pastors that I worked for. I worked for two. They were wonderful to me in many ways. I honestly do not believe that God put it in their hearts to bless me greatly financially. I know what he was doing now. I didn't like it at the time, but I look back on it now. He was keeping me uncomfortable because he knew that I would hustle and I would think and I would learn to come out of what I was doing. You know why? Because I was going to do something in children's ministry. In 1991, when we were at the peak of our ministry with Gospel Bill and we were on Five major satellite networks, every independent Christian station in America set record crowds every church we went to. 1991, 94% of my money came from sales, 6% from offerings. There was one church in St. Louis, Missouri that gave me $100 a month when I had gospel bill on the air. That's it. I had other churches that would give me an offering if I went and spoke, but nobody supported me on a regular basis. I got mad about it. I cried out to God about it. I said, God, these people are hypocrites. They profess love for children, but they won't spend any money on the kids. And if you listen to the way things work in your state, look at how poorly funded the elementary schools are and how much money goes to the colleges. When kids are big enough to cause trouble, they get more money. That's just the way it works. And when they're little, people ignore. And so I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't think it was fair. It wasn't fair. It's not right. Jesus didn't like it either. But it's just the way it is. So instead of crying about it and being upset about it, there's got to be a way around it. So I see this lady in a store. 
and she's got her little girl with her and they're pushing a cart and they walk by the stand where there are all these coloring books and crayons and the little girl starts pointing and without hesitation at all, the mom picks up the coloring book and the crayons, puts it in the cart and I finally saw it. I thought, I'm never gonna get offerings for what I do. I've gotta start charging a fee. I gotta sell things. And I've gotta sell things that people want. And I gotta be reasonable with my prices. And I've gotta make sure I can make them cheaply enough that I can make a profit when I do sell them. Nothing wrong with that. And I'm gonna take the proceeds from that and I'm gonna pay salaries and we're gonna make a kid's TV show. It so happened that when we got our own studio and made our kids' TV show, a marvelous thing happened at the same time. The price of duplicating a videotape cost $60 when I first started, just to duplicate one tape. Remember the movie Top Gun? When you went to go pay for Top Gun, they put a Pepsi commercial in it at the beginning so they could afford to sell it for 60 bucks. In just a matter of months, the price of duplicating a videotape dropped to less than $5. Now, all of a sudden, I can put two episodes of Gospel Bill on one VHS cassette, and that was another battle. Sony actually had a better product, but they wouldn't license to all the different vendors, so VHS, even though it was an inferior product, they beat out the beta tape, and so now you can get the VHS tape, and I had two episodes of Gospel Bill for $14.95. The other thing I learned, don't sell one tape. We're selling a club. We're going to get your credit card, and we're going to bill it every month till Jesus comes back and lets you stop us. <laughs> Someone says, what if people don't want it? We're not going to call you and ask if you don't want it. You tell us. We'll quit when you tell us to quit. But if you don't tell us, we're going to keep on. We're assuming that you want it to keep coming. So that's where our club worked. Now, we weren't dishonest with anybody, but we're, we realized the only way we can make money on this is if we have that regular income week in, week out, week or month in, month out. And that's how we made it. I sold T-shirts with my characters on it. I used to go to conferences, and we had people that I'd teach on how to work puppets. And they'd come up to me after my session and say, where do you get your puppets? And I said, right here in the back of your syllabus are six different manufacturers. Write them and ask them for the catalog. The catalog people said to me, or they said to our people, they said, we know where Willie George has been. Every time Willie George goes to a city, we get bombarded from that city. Please send us your catalog. So we follow Willie George all over the map. We know where he's been because that's where we get requests for catalogs. When they told me that, I thought, you know what, this is stupid. I am the number one puppet salesman for six different companies and I don't get a penny in royalties. That's gonna change. So we started making puppets and people came to me and said, where do you get those puppets? I said, right over here on that table. And all of a sudden, I got a new stream. See if I'll not open you the windows of heaven. Abraham was rich, Genesis 13 too. In cattle and in silver, and in gold, Genesis 13, 2. He had at least three channels. Abraham lived, I won't say a desert, but a very semi-arid land. How does Abraham, and when you read it, he didn't live in cities, never lived in a city. He lived in tents, in the boonies. The whole purpose is living in the boonies is pasture. He needs grass. So he's living in the boonies. How is Abraham getting silver and gold in the boonies? How does he get silver and gold in the boonies? He's living out there where nobody lives. 
in all of this empty country where there's all kinds of grass. <clears throat> How can he even live there? He has his guys dig wells, and they're digging wells, and they move from well to well because they're going to eat up all the grass. They, they milk this well over here, all the grass is gone, they go to the next one. They go over here, and it just so happens that he lives on the busiest caravan route in the world. Every caravan that comes from Europe, every caravan from the Middle East, they pass right down through the land of Canaan on their way to Egypt with their camels. And when you read in Genesis 18 about how God and two angels show up at Abraham's tent in the heat of the day, Abraham springs into hospitality mode. And he gives them cool water. He kills the fatted calf. Sarah starts making bread. They bring out the cheese. And this is all happening at amazing speed, which tells me this was reflexive action. It's what Abraham did all the time. And in that classic, understated Middle Eastern way, where they never actually came out and named their price, they would barter with you after the fact. They almost make you think it's free, and then later on they expect payment. That's the way it worked. And Abraham dealt with people like that all the time. And he made money. The silver and gold had to come from somewhere. It didn't come up out of the soil. And the reason he had it is because he had the cattle to butcher to sell. And he had the water to drink because of the wells that he dug. Now, the Bible doesn't come right out and spell that out, but you gotta use your head. And this is what I want you to see. When you're gonna walk with God financially, there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't spell right out, but you gotta use your head. And I started learning how to use my head. I started realizing, since people are not handing me money, and every pastor I go to preach for, they give me a check and they apologize. Every time I go preach, I'm so sorry. This is so low. I hate it. This is, I'm embarrassed to give you this check. What you put into our church was worth so much more. And I hate it that I have to give you this check. And I thought, man, I hate it too. <laughs> and finally, one pastor said to me, Willie, I've been praying for you all week. He said, I'm embarrassed about this. I added money to this. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. God's going to give you He's going to give you an idea about your money. And it hit me a few weeks later. I need to charge fee for my conference. I need to charge, because I was letting people come for free. Wasn't charging them a penny. Now, you can't do that on everything, but when it's a technical conference, which is what I was doing, highly technical information, and since they were not bringing me generous offerings and there was nobody there in the church to teach these people to bring generous offerings, pastor was to say, this church over here sent 20 people and didn't send a dime. Yeah. Well, that's not right. The Bible says the workman's yeah. worthy of his hire. Right. The Bible teaches that the ox shouldn't be muzzled, the one that plows out the corn. I'm over here plowing out the corn. They're not giving me anything to eat. And so I can't afford to do this for free. I went to a church in Florida back there when I first got started. I preached 13 times. 13 times in four days, they gave me 280 bucks. My airfare was 260 bucks. I got about a dollar and eight, 15, 20 cents for every, some, some of you good with math, you figure it out. I made, I made 20 bucks for 13 sessions. And they had no shame, no shame whatsoever in handing me that check. How do you expect me to make a living? How can I pay my bills? And it was that way just about everywhere I went. I thought, God, this isn't right. And one day I realized, I've got to have product. I've got to sell things. And the parents had no problems buying it. No problems. At the end, somebody said, one of my business administrators, I said a while ago, 94% of what we made came from sales. 
when I started charging the conference fee, attendance tripled. That doesn't make sense, does it? When I was giving it away for free, one-third as many people came. I started charging, and three times as many people came. You have to take charge of your finances. Some of us are waiting for someone to come in and do it for us. And you're going to wait a long, long time. You better take charge. You better start thinking, God, what are my channels? What do I have? Am I helping anybody? Yes. You know the whole earth works on this principle? You know we got trees. you got a lot of trees here in Birmingham. You know what they're doing? They're making air for you to breathe right now. They're exuding oxygen. They're taking out our carbon dioxide. We're throwing out carbon dioxide every time we exhale. They need that. They're, they're swapping with us. All the plants are doing the same thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but plants can't move. So the boy plant, you might not realize this, but plants come in two kinds, boys, girls. And so the boy plant's over here saying, ooh, look at that gal. Man, she's good. <sighs> I'm not going to be suggestive here, but I, I need to pollinate her. <laughs> but I can't get over there. So the bee comes along and says, I need some pollen. And the bee lands on this. He said, I'm going to go over here and get some pollen. He goes over there to the other plant, the girl plant, and he thinks he's just getting some pollen. He's actually bringing the seed from the male plant over here, and he's putting these two plants together. They can't get to each other, so he's serving a purpose. He's getting what he needs. They're getting what they need. The whole earth operates on the principle of exchange. So we've got to start thinking about what do I have to swap? What is it people need from me? And how can I improve my product? If I want to be treated with more respect, I need to act like a manager. I need to act like a leader. And I act like that for some time before people promote me. Wow. Look at Joseph. When Joseph was promoted out of the dungeon and he was put into Pharaoh's palace, a lot of people look at that like it was a lucky break. It was all because God favored him. And here's Joseph. He gets plucked from the dungeon and he gets put in the palace. And one day, wow, what a break. I'm telling you, it's not a break at all. Joseph was the most qualified man in the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh even said that. He said, who can we find that's like this guy? There's nobody in the country like him. And you know what Joseph was doing? He was preparing for that. God prepared him for 13 years for that position. What's the first thing he had to learn to do? Speak Egyptian. You can't lead a country if you can't speak the language. So he learns the Egyptian language. What's the second thing that he learns to do? He learns the culture. You can't lead Egyptians if you offend them with everything you do. Your culture is different than their culture. You've got to learn the culture. So he learns Egyptian culture. What does he do in Potiphar's house and in the prison? He learns all about food consumption. Both stories talk about how Joseph was learning how to supervise the feeding. So Joseph was an expert in food consumption for the Egyptians. He knew what they had to have. And when he told Pharaoh, you need to put somebody over your agriculture and store this food so when the famine comes, you can put it out there, Pharaoh is blown away. He's a leader. He's around leaders. He was trained to be a leader since he was a kid. He was schooled to be a leader. He recognizes a leader when he sees it. And here's Joseph, who hadn't been paid fairly who wasn't right but all of a sudden boom God makes it up so see a lot of us we're going to work hard we're going to do that when we start getting paid good luck listen to me if you don't take care of the now you're not going to get the new
If you don't work hard in the now, you're not going to get the new. If you want the new, do something with the now. Am I helping anybody? All right. So instead of seeking money first, seek ways to get what you have out to the people. $50,000. I got to have it. I don't even know how much I've come up with, but we've done everything but print the curriculum. Now it's up to me to get it printed. The people I worked with went to the printer and they said, would you let Willie have 90 days to pay this bill? He said, I'll do a third, a third, and a third. I said, okay, don't print yet. Give me a month. And in that month, I printed a brochure, mailed it, and I timed it so that I would have orders coming back in. And so my stuff came off the press when the first checks arrived in our mailbox. And I had enough in the first 30 days to pay the first third of the curriculum. At the end of the second 30 days, I had enough to pay that bill. The 90 days, I didn't quite have enough to pay the bill, but the guy was happy enough with me. I got a little more time. And after the whole process was over, I went to the lady who was helping me with the curriculum and said, how much came in? She said, let me check. And it took her a while because there were all these little bitty checks. She said, in the last year, we've taken in $50,000. That isn't the way I wanted it. I wanted one $50,000 check. That would have been an amazing miracle. That isn't what God gave me. you got to learn how God thinks. You don't think like God thinks. I don't think like God thinks. I had this grand idea of how it ought to be, and I was disappointed to find out that the $50,000 came in about 1,500 different checks. It was only later I started realizing what a blessing that was. Because now I've got a customer base. I have people in every state of the union. They're now looking to me for children's stuff. I have another set of curriculum I'm going to do next year. It was a three-year program. I've got all kinds of people to go to. I know that most of them are going to buy again. I have a relationship. Money flows through relationship. Think about it. Everything good that comes to your house flows through a channel. Electricity comes through wires. Natural gas comes through a pipe. Water comes through a different kind of a pipe. Even high-speed internet comes to your house through a channel. Nothing of value shows up on its own. It doesn't just drop out of the sky onto your home. There is a channel, and things go back and forth on the channel. And remember the dream that Jacob had in the 28th chapter of Genesis he sees this staircase that goes from the earth up to heaven, and he sees angels going from the earth up to heaven and turning around and coming back down. And the next day when he wakes up, he knows this has something to do with money and financial blessing because he says, of all that you will give me, I will surely give the tenth unto you. And he was saying, God, I see the channel. I see the channel. There's a channel between me and heaven and I'm going to do my part, and you're going to do your part, yeah. and I see how this thing works. Wow. The power company gives you electricity. They send you a coupon. They're expecting that money to come back. Think about what would happen if they didn't give you a way to pay. How many of you would take the time to look up the address of the power company, <laughs> figure out what the bill was, and you didn't work with the self-addressed stamped envelope? You, you didn't work with that. Think about how much more difficult it would be if it was totally up to you. They know 
that they need to help you get that money back. They're expecting that money to come back. There's an exchange. They gave something to you, you're putting something back to them. You need to start thinking that way. Why would people want to give me money? Now, my and Granny, she loves me, and she's going to give me an extra $50 every so often, but, but most people aren't Granny. So you're going to have to start thinking, what do I have? And remember what it is. It's either labor, or it's wisdom, or it's product, or it's money. Those are the four things that convert to more money. All right? Questions? Okay, we're going to take, uh, yeah, let's give it up for, for Pastor George. You do awesome. So we're going to give you a couple minutes to ask questions. Then we're actually going to close on time, but we're not, there's nothing behind this. So we can keep going a little bit if you'd like. So any question you have not related to pollen. <laughs> So if you want to uh, start a new stream, um, and you've got a major stream that's providing all of your money, all of your right. stuff, and you've got this other idea over here, how do you begin to devote time to that? Is it Do you go through seasons? Do you schedule through the week? Do you just grid it out and put an extra 20 hours? What are some tips on carving that new stream? Book of Exodus says, Six days shalt thou do thy labor. Everybody I know of who makes money works more than five days. You don't have to work all day Saturday, but I know that when I was younger, I would spend at least two to two and a half hours every night reading or doing something to make myself better. My wife and I bought houses that needed to be fixed up. Some nights we're not reading, we're wallpapering, we're painting, we're redoing something in the house, we're decorating, we're doing something. That's why we made money on our homes when we sold them. My first one, I made $10,000 in Tulsa. Second one, I made $12,000. Third one, I made $54,000. Then I sold one property, and we made almost a million dollars off the sale of that property. But we found a junk heap that everybody said, this is just junk. We said, we see what we can do with it. We bought it right. We were able to fix it up. And when we got done with it, it was worth something. So that was our six-day project. And I encourage people to develop a six-day project. It doesn't have to be done on Saturday, but, but it might be that you're going back to college and finishing your degree. When you look at something and ask this question, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one who ought to do this. lady in my church had breast cancer. She went to spas when she had breast cancer. They treated her awkwardly. They didn't know how to make her feel comfortable. They were very troubled by her appearance and her experience didn't, they felt inadequate. She gets over the cancer, totally recovers, and says somebody ought to do this. Why isn't somebody doing a spa that specializes in cancer patients? And she launched that kind of a spa. It exploded. Everybody comes. Healthy people and women who are battling cancers of various kinds. They've lost their hair. But they've learned to treat them with great regard. And now she's got a whole business because of her own experience. And usually that's the way it is. God's not going to give me a formula for rocket fuel. We couldn't, we couldn't hit Kansas with my rocket fuel, okay? And I have... 
we don't live very far away. So that's not my wheelhouse. Whatever it is he gives you is in your wheelhouse. I develop tapes. This is what I know. I teach kids. I know how to tell other people about kids' ministry. I developed what I was familiar with. It's just the way it works. Yes, sir. Hey, Pastor. Uh, and like many people here, we've been blessed by your children's curriculum and the camp and everything like that. Uh, specifically from a pastor's perspective, uh, you're very creative. You're very entrepreneurial. A lot of us feel like we're the same way. And this might be a more technical question that you want to answer so you don't have to uh, feel obligated for that. But as a pastor, you know, you're getting paid from the church. Then, like I say, you get, write these books, and then you have this other idea, and then you're kind of entrepreneurial, and you create this product. You know, so... From what's a good way to make sure? I mean, do you start your own publishing company, or you know, how does the money flow on that to where nobody has a reason to argue with how you're doing it? And you know, it, I know that's a real technical question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want. But I just, I'm an author too, and I write songs and this other stuff. So, what would you give me as far as advice to if I'm gonna go in that direction, how to set it up so down the road I'm not facing problems financially? Well, the thing of it is, what you create, you have a right to. Um, so here's what John Maxwell did. John Maxwell, I heard this years ago, would buy the masters to his Sunday sermons and pay $50 a piece, keep careful records and so forth. So when he transferred that over into his organization, he had paid, he didn't just get a benefit from a nonprofit organization, he paid for that master. Now it gave him the rights to do the books and so forth, all of that personally. Okay. So anything I would do book wise or whatever, I would not utilize my Sunday morning messages. And that's not what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm crafting material out of my life experience from 40 years of preaching. And that's what I'm doing with what I'm doing right now with the book. I've waited to write books. I think books ought to be a life message. Um, I, I think if you're going to have a successful book, it needs to be a life message. It's something that you can share that's going to have some wheels. It's different. Life messages have a bigger impact than just a good book. Yeah. And so you, you create a channel, an avenue for that, and then you ask yourself this question, does this detract from my main gig? And so that, that's the thing. My son-in-law came to me and said, Willie, I want to build a house. And he'd never built a house. And I don't even know if he knew what a hammer looked like. He's never done any carpentry. But we had a guy in our ministry who worked in our warehouse, and he and his wife, she worked in accounting, he the warehouse, they built one house every year. Every year, they would take a whole year to build a house. And it was a spec house. In the beginning, they borrowed the money. Every morning before work, he'd go to the house, go to the job site, look everything over. Every afternoon when he gets off work, this is the first place he goes. He'd meet with the subs, lay out work, write him notes, call him on the phone, explain that I want this here, or he corrects this, corrects that, or asks a question about this. He takes his extra two or three hours a day and pours in that house. At the end of the year, it's ready to sell. They put it on the market and sell it. Usually make about thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 being the general contractors. After a few of those flips like that, or not flips, but after a few of those projects, he now has enough money to do it without borrowing money, so he doesn't have the interest expense. And so my son-in-law picks his brain, asks him a million questions, and my son-in-law comes to me and says, I'm going to do it. And when he tells me he's going to do it, I, I want to discourage him. He lives next door to me. He's got two kids. I don't want to see them go. I'm thinking about all the things I can do to say, this is not a good idea. You've never built a house. But I thought, no, 
I, I wouldn't have appreciated someone doing that with me. Well, he has a guaranteed buyer, him. Bank loaned him the money. He went out and built the house. It was a great home. He put a lot of extras into it and figured a way to do it cheaper than what the average builder did it, but he did it better. Then when they saw that success, he got the money to do another spec house in the neighborhood. He puts it on the market. Two people show up and want to buy this house in the same day. And he says, well, wait a minute. I've got another one over here. One of them buys the home he's living in. Another one buys the spec house. And so he moves into a third neighborhood or new neighborhood and builds five homes. Now he's putting in, he, he, he's one of homes in Tulsa two out of the last three years. He's Tulsa's top builder. And maybe not in volume, but in terms of what people like. He's about to put in a whole neighborhood. All of that time, he was in charge of our ministry vehicles, our, our warehouse, our, 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 all of our facilities, our janitorial stuff, everything. He was in charge of all that stuff. Never dropped the ball. He was able to do that on lunch break. He was able to do that with a phone call here or there, before work, after work. And now it's turned into a full-time gig. So I had the same thing happen to me. In the beginning, I was a children's guy. But my money started drying up at the church I was working with. The church went through a financial crisis. I started getting meeting invitations, and at the end, I'm tithing my salary back to the church. So it grew. That's what I'm looking at. So it grew. But the main thing is you never compromise your main gig to do the other. One more question. Okay. Yes, sir, John. Pastor, would you talk a little bit about... Um steps and uh, leaps and maybe some of the signs of something is a leap or how you're feeling if it's a leap yeah. or something like that? When you can't sleep at night, it's a leap. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that simple. And, and, you know, everything God gives you is a stretch. But there's a difference between a stretch and a leap. And when you can't even begin to see your way out and when there is no comfort from the Holy Spirit. And see, I've had things before I started to do and I thought, man, I'm not sensing anything here. I don't hear any attaboy from the Holy Ghost. I'm not hearing anything from Him about this is going to be okay. There's no comforting word, no comforting uh, confirmation. I know that's not the Lord. And when I backed off and says, we're not going to do it. Oh, great peace. And almost always, John, when I would back off the big thing that was more than I could chew, the right thing would come on the heels of that. There'd be something else that'd be just like it, but better. And very often, I didn't get the right thing until I said no to the wrong thing. Thank you very much. You guys have been very kind.